You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Is Jalen Hurts giving us a glimpse of the future? And where does that leave Carson Wentz? Former Eagles executive Joe Banner joins us to answer those questions. He also talks about the Eagles cap situation, Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson's status with the team in the future. Joe also tells us why he's so active on social media and his concerns for our nation in the future. Joe Banner tells it like it is on this edition of Gun on One, the podcast. Another incredibly exciting game from the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals, but unfortunately, the Eagles come up on the short end. But are we getting a definitive glimpse of the future at quarterback with this team? And what happens to the so-called franchise quarterback of this team? Well, we welcome you into the latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn, and we want answers. And I couldn't think of somebody could give better answers than a man who's been in the front office of the NFL. He was a longtime Eagle executive. He was a TV personality analyst as well for a few years. I've known him since the late 1990s. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I can't think of enough for coming on. He is the one and only Joe Banner. Joe, how you doing, man? It's good to talk to you finally. You too. I, I I don't know about that calling me a personality part, though. I'm not really sure that fits, but I appreciate it anyway. Well, you do have a personality. I mean, we, we can agree on that, can't we? Well, some some people would say no. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I know you've been closely watching this Eagle season, and you know I follow you closely in social media, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, we've now had a sample of uh, – Jalen Hurts for two plus games. I want to get your general impression of him first before we we tackle some other issues. Yeah, so listen, I mean, I think you can't do more than uh, thrive in the situation you're presented. Um, and uh, I think he's done a really good job in the two games he's played. I think there's a lot left to learn, a lot left before we can really feel good about a decision, you know, from a front office perspective. But He's played two games against two reasonably good teams. Uh, he's playing with the same limitations that we saw before those two games, and yep. you can't do anything but say out of the circumstances he's done really well in those two games. 
Um, are you surprised the team waited this long to pull the trigger on making a switch from Wentz to Hertz? I'm, I'm really not. <clears throat> and in fact, you know, I still think there's an argument about whether it was right to make the move because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think what's at least being reported about Wentz is predictable and it's very hard to recover from. So making this move is, uh, not fully putting all your eggs in the Hertz basket, but it's putting a lot of your eggs in that basket. And are we sure enough that Wentz can't get back to where he was? Cause I do think he has more upside. Mm-hmm. He also now has more downside yeah. uh, than Hertz. So, you know, do we, did we really want to end that experiment at this moment? And uh, as I say, I think he's done a really good job in those two games, but this, this season is not going to get them where they hope to get, you know, they're at this point, you know, making the playoffs is not what the Eagles goals are and are their fans. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see, I think time will tell whether this uh, timing was right. So we're not surprised that a report leaks out that Wentz is unhappy about being on the bench. Um, he doesn't want to be a backup moving forward. Look, wants to go elsewhere. Now you were on that side of the fence being an NFL executive, listening to these so-called rumors. Do you, th- do, you do you think a rumor like that? Number one is deliberately leaked by the agent or is it the player speaking through the agent? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if the player was talking or leaking to anybody other than his agents or family yeah. or whatever. So, uh, yeah, no, these things don't come out accidentally. I mean, I think that at least the first report I saw was from Adam Schefter. I'm yep. sure his, he has a list each week of things to follow up on and check on. And, you know, Wentz was uh, sat down and then we had one week of Hertz performance. It was kind of natural to call and say, hey, how's he feeling? And, you know, frankly, I think what he's feeling is totally predictable and normal and understandable. I'm not really sure I see a lot of fairness in the criticism. I mean, from his perspective, let's think about from his perspective, mm-hmm. um, he's had meaningful success uh, in the past. And, uh, you know, the team was playing with a lot of deficiencies, including maybe some where the coach wasn't doing the best they could to maximize his chance for turning it around. Obviously, the offensive line's been devastated by injuries and went into the season thinking John Jackson and all Sean Jeffries are going to be the starting wide receivers and basically got nothing out of any of them. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he's feeling like I could play a lot better, but there's a lot that contributed to this. And now it kind of looks like, you know, I'm the bad guy and, and it's my fault. And that's all fine. That's what the team wants to do. But I don't necessarily want to sit around here and watch the prime years of my career potentially mm-hmm. go by without getting a chance to do what I you know, want to do. So listen, these players, as you know, they're very, very competitive guys. Yep. And we all know the cliche, sometimes a strength taken too far can be a weakness. So sometimes their competitiveness can, you know, backfire on them a little bit, but the truth is they wouldn't be professional athletes if they weren't really competitive. So we have to acknowledge and appreciate, we want the players to be super competitive guys. And so his reaction is to be expected from a highly competitive, confident guy. So if the Eagles decide that it's in the best interest of the organization and the individual to move him after this season, you know, you look at his cap number, and and even if they find a trade partner, um, they're still going to take a significant cap hit. They're not going to just give him away. So with that said, how do you, from your perspective, how do you handle this situation moving forward? Well, the first thing they got to decide is, who do they really think is their guy going forward that's most likely to lead them to where they want to go? 
If it's not Wentz, then they're better off trading him now. There are ways they can make the trade so the cost of trading him is still very significant and nothing you want, but is better than the cost and less than the cost of keeping him. Mm -hmm. So if you don't think he's the right guy or you don't think you can keep those two guys in the locker room at the same time and keep them both happy, um, then, you know, there's some things the Eagles can do in the contract, their timing of when the trade would be made. If it's a trade would be, you know, sometime after June one, which is not ideal from the acquiring team's perspective. And really you'd just be looking to get the most you can and mostly free up your cap. I mean, that would be the main benefit the Eagles would get out. They give Hertz a clear path to be the guy going forward. They would get cap relief from where it sits, Mm -hmm. which as you said, it's still significantly costly. Mm but it's better than uh, where it sits right now. So they, they gain the clear path for Hertz and they gain some cap relief, a lot of cap relief over the next three or four years, but even some over the next couple of years. In fact, they could actually lower his cap charge for 2021 in a trade, which is the year in which they're going to face the most challenges here in the next few to manage the cap. So that would actually be a benefit of trading him from a short-term perspective, but you'd still be taking a sizable cost. Mm-hmm. For a guy that's not on your team, there's no way to avoid that at this point. Mm. So when you look at the way his uh, his overall play spiraled downward in 2020, how much does mm. that affect your negotiating power in terms of what you're trying to get back for a quarterback like Wentz? Because if I'm an NFL executive, I'm saying, well, you know, we're not even talking. I'm not giving you a first round pick. I don't know about a second round pick from what I've seen of Wentz in 2020. Mm. So how do you counter to make sure that you're not just giving this guy away. Well, you may be not literally giving away, but you may be close to giving him away. Remember, yeah. we've seen this more in basketball than the NFL. Mm-hmm. Where you see the real benefit a team trading the player gets is cap relief, and the compensation they get is fairly insignificant. I mean, in basketball, by the time you get into the second round, it's not like major compensation. So I would envision the Eagles getting something back, uh, but – what the real benefit, if they made a trade, would be is the cap relief they're going to get over the next uh, two to four years. Right. Uh, and that's unusual in the NFL because contracts are unguaranteed and usually you don't get in a situation where there's that big a cap uh, that the primary benefit you're looking to get out of trading somebody is cap relief. But remember, if you trade him, mm-hmm. somebody's going to take on at least some portion, maybe a large portion of what he's owed in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to assume whatever future guarantees and obligation the team has beyond 2021. So the Eagles get relieved from all of that. Some of it's guaranteed, some of it isn't, Mm -hmm. but they get relieved from all of that. So again, if they really think Hertz is the guy, then taking a trade in which the compensation was pretty modest, other than the cap relief Mm -hmm. would really not be surprising and something we've actually seen happen quite a bit in basketball. Mm. Okay. So let's say they trade Wentz. Now, Aren't you weakening your quarterback room? Okay, you have your so-called quarterback of the future, a young Jalen Hurts. You've got to go out, maybe draft another project in the mid-rounds, and also maybe even bring in another low-level type veteran free agent quarterback. Are you, are, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for this organization, isn't it? Yeah, listen, this is not a situation you want to be in. Right, At some point, right. you got to deal this is the hand we got dealt. I'm sitting at the poker table. I can't ask the guy for a new new hand. I got to play the hand I got. So, you know, let's just type the, take the hypothetical that you just presented. Let's just, I'm using very round numbers sure. here just to make an example. Cap charge in 2020, 
2021 is say $35 million. And by making the trade, it becomes $25 million. I have way more than enough to sign the best backup quarterback in the NFL. Mm. So I'm still making progress. Mm. And the answer to the first part of your question is, listen, if I thought that there was, Wentz could be satisfied and come in and be prepared to compete for the job. And I thought that Hertz and Wentz had a relationship where, which regardless of which one wins the starting job, they could coexist. You could make a very strong case of not making a trade. Mm. If you felt like we don't want to have all that upsetness and distraction and uncertainty, we want to bring one guy in from day one. We want to do everything we can to position him to be the best player he can be next year. And it may be that both these guys are just too competitive to coexist in the same quarterback room. You know, then gaining some significant cap relief would be a good enough uh, benefit mm. to go ahead and make a trade. So there's, some unknowns in that to you and I. I mean, we we feel like we know Wentz a little bit. We're learning about Hertz, but they really know Wentz. Mm-hmm. They really know Hertz. And they have a much better sense, we could guess, as to whether there's a chance for those guys to coexist. The fact that this stuff was put out in the last couple of days about Wentz's mindset, you know, is not encouraging from the outside to yeah. think that they could coexist together and just, you know, hey, bring them in, let's compete, let's see who wins the job. You know, it may not be that simple. Joe, you and I both know if Wentz is on this roster in 2024, uh, 2021, the type of firestorm that's going to create all season long next year. Well, I just feel sure of one thing. The media will not put any wood on that fire and inflame it all. No. <laughs> <laughs> would, would, you, would you have given Wentz that kind of money so soon in his career? Yeah, I would have. I mean, listen, it's a mistake, and, you know, we, we all make them. We just try to make less than the guys you're competing with, but I thought they were smart to do that contract. I thought they got a good deal relative to where it was going and the player that he looked like he was going to be. So I can't fault that. I mean, this is, to me, it's really unprecedented to see a professional athlete reach the level he did and regress this dramatically. And, yeah. again, he absolutely owns part of it. There's no question. Yeah. He something going on, and for whatever reason, he's not close to playing the way he was a few years ago. But it's also equally certain that some of the other factors from the coaching, the offensive line play, to the quality of the weapons was contributing to it as well. Mm. So when they made that deal, I thought it was smart. I thought it continued a philosophy, frankly, the organization has benefited from a lot for a long years. And it was pretty unpredictable that we'd see this dramatic uh, turnaround in his performance, at least from where I sat. When you were sitting across the table from players and agents and making deals, going back and forth, serve and volley, when you look back, what was the one biggest mistake financially you made? I mean, like the particular deal yes. that I look back yes. and, and go, why did I do this? Well, you know, I'm going to give an odd answer because I'm actually glad we signed the guy and I actually have tremendous respect for what he's done. But my answer is going to be Michael Vick and his only reason. You know, I negotiated a deal assuming that there would be uh, other interested parties and that he was going to get paid like a starting quarterback, mm-hmm. which is what he was and he deserved. But I now know in hindsight, at the time we were negotiated, we were the only team interested. So, you know, when you're the only team interested, you shouldn't be kind of paying full price, so to speak. Right. So I think I think Michael was a great acquisition. I'm proud of the fact we gave him a second chance. I'm more proud of what he has done mm-hmm. with that second chance, both in and out of football. But if you're talking pure contract-wise, I mean, one of the things as a contract negotiator got to be good at is sensing when the other side is bluffing. Yeah. 
Uh, and in that case, you know, I missed the bluff and paid him a lot more than we needed to. So that's the only reason I put that there. Not No regrets at all about Michael or the signing of the decisions we made around it. I'm just talking pure, you know, what could have the deal been versus what it was. I overpaid him by quite a bit. Mm. When you also sat across from players and agents, how did you separate business from personal? Because from what I've known, not just you, but other executives I've had the privilege to talk to, sometimes it can get pretty nasty behind closed doors. Yeah, this is the, this is the hardest thing to do. And, you know, I got criticized at times for not being that close with players, which was fair and accurate. Yeah. Um, but it's mainly for this the reason you're asking this question. Yeah. I felt like it gave me a better, first of all, Anybody who's the contract negotiator for any team is going to alienate some players to some extent, and that conversation goes through the yep. locker room. But beyond that, I wanted to be as dispassionate as I could possibly be and, uh, you know, have relationship with the players where, you know, we communicated and I was supportive and engaged and they'd see me around. Um, but really try to keep it, I purposely kept it, uh, you know, a little bit distant so that when it came to making this kind of decision, I could be as dispassionate as you can possibly be into the circumstances and, and not lose my objectivity to players mm-hmm. that I maybe I had advocated for or maybe I liked better or maybe in my opinion were more important to us than, you know, other people's. Uh, so, you know, you it's very hard to do what mm-hmm. you're asking and you absolutely make some mistakes um, because the two are interconnected and you can't always tell exactly how. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tried to stay as kind of distant from the relationship building as I could to stay as objective in the negotiating phase as I possibly could. Mm. Uh, getting back to the team for a moment, uh, as we look ahead to 2021's offseason, right now the team is roughly $60 million over the cap heading into 2021. It looks like they're going to have to get rid of some significant talent and maybe start this thing over again from the ground. How, how do you how do you get, diminish that cap number, but yet still try to field a competitive team? And you know, we keep hearing the organization talking about we need to get younger to get better. How do you combine those two elements? Yeah, well, they definitely need to get younger to get better. And you know, listen, part of the reason they have these injuries is because as players get older, the risk of injury mm-hmm. goes up, and they've allowed the team to get a bit. Uh, old. So I think that they've said that publicly. They've started to do that. I think they've got to aggressively continue that. Mm-hmm. Listen, I've described the cap problem as more significant than the Eagles have had in a long time, but not as bad as it looks on paper. Um, and when I say that, there are players, you know, like the Sean and all Sean, right. uh, we all know they're not bringing back. They right. know they're not being brought back. And so you put a big dent in the problem there. Um, you can restructure contracts because I think that pretty be a pretty big jump in the cap in 2022. Mm-hmm. So borrowing some money from the future to help with that. And you may make a couple of tough decisions. I mean, some guys, there are some guys out there that are older that are actually still playing very mm-hmm. well. I put like a Brandon Graham in, in that category that you'd love to bring back. Uh, but there may be a guy or two that you'd love to bring back that you either can't or you need to restructure the deal or extend the deal or cut the base salary or something. Um, and I think they, I think that they will have to make more tough decisions they've made, but I don't think they're even close to needing to like go back and, you know, start from scratch or rebuild from a cap perspective. Yep. They may feel they need to from a quality and age perspective, but I don't think they need to, uh, from a cap perspective. And I also don't believe the cap is really going to go down all the way to 175, which they'll be one of the biggest beneficiaries in the league if I'm right about that. And even if it just goes to 180 or 185, it saves them five or $10 million of potential other cuts. So 
you are going to see them make uh, some obvious decisions like the couple we've mentioned, mm-hmm. and you're going to make, see them probably have to make one or two tougher decisions than they have in the past, but they're not in a situation where they're really going to have to decimate the team just to deal with the cap situation in 2021. Why do you think the cap number is going to be higher than what is being projected out there publicly? Yeah. Uh, first of all, there were some revenues this year and the, the 175 number projected a really devastating consequences from a cap um, cap and revenue yeah. situation in 2020. So I think that came in a little bit better. I think you effectively have three new stadiums opening or three teams playing in mm-hmm. new stadiums and all the added revenue from those will go into next year's cap. Uh, I, I think there's a reasonable chance that some TV deals and some streaming deals, which is basically all new revenue, the streaming part mm-hmm. of the broadcast deals will come in. And I think that will offset the drop. I don't think it will be like nothing happened. But I think that will offset the degree of drop that uh, the 175 number projects so that it's more likely to be, you know, I would guess anyway from 180 to 190, um, which, believe me, doesn't sound like a ton. But if you're in the Eagles situation and you're trying to save every buck you can to minimize the tough choices, yeah. that will be consequential. You know, when you were with the Eagles, a lot of people referred to you as a capologist. Did you take pride yeah. in Did you take pride in that? Well, I took pride in the job we did with the cap, which was never just me, but the group, which included, you know, a number of people. Um, I took a lot of pride in that. I, I was not uh, pleased with what I thought was kind of a, um, I don't know, limiting and narrowing of the uh, breadth of what I, you know, did and my responsibilities were with the organization. Yeah. But I did take a lot of pride in the cap uh, management that we did. And, and I like to think the advantages it created. And um, you know, appreciated that people thought we'd done a good job in that area, but kind of you know, wiped out everything else <laughs> that I did and narrowed it just to that. You, you sound a little bitter in hindsight, are you? No, I, I had a, I feel like the, uh, how many people can for almost 20 years do the job if you gave them any job in the whole world you can do, you actually got to do it for 20 years. Yep. And uh, I worked with great people, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never get over the frustration that during that time we came so close so many times, but never won the Super Bowl. Mm. Um, but I look back on it with the opportunity and the people I worked with and the thrill that that job brings with it. Um, you know, just with great fondness. And by the way, including being in Philadelphia, I mean, yep. what, what makes the job extra exciting is when there's tremendous passion around it. Now, sometimes the passion can be negative and sometimes it's mm-hmm. positive, but when we used to talk about how the passion of the city was part of the thrill of working there, we were not saying that to win PR points. That yeah. is actually the emotion you feel. You want, you know, that intensity and and knowing that it brings with it some some heat. But it was way way more worth it than than not to have that kind of intensity and scrutiny. If you could categorize it, what is your one fondest memory of working with the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, I, I have to say, just tying it to my previous answer, you know, standing uh, on the stage the night we won the championship game and, yep. and the two weeks leading up to actually finally getting to play in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Uh, you know, I wish I could say that it was being part of at least winning one, but yeah. it didn't work out that way. But, but you know, after three years of, of uh, what most people would describe as success, participating in those championship games, but really, frankly, by year two and three mm-hmm. was just incredibly painful. To finally stand there and have that trophy presented to the organization and know we had uh, two weeks of joy and a chance to win a Super Bowl, 
uh, frankly, was by far the most joyous time. You hear all the outside chatter. You, you were you're part of the media. I know you're very active on social media nowadays. A lot of people calling for the heads of Howie Roseman and, and Doug Peterson. Um, and I saw something you put out there on Twitter, and I was a little bit shocked. You said there, you felt there's no way that Howie Roseman is not with his team in 2021. Why? Yeah, listen, I, I just think, you know, when you're the decision maker, in this case would be Jeff, yep. you have to stay very calm and you have to look at the whole picture. So, you know, I think if you look at his entire tenure, um, to think that he didn't deserve more time, and you factor in the relationship and the trust that exists between him and Jeff, um, I didn't think there was any chance after, you know, one losing season, after three years in a row of averaging 10 plus wins in a Super Bowl championship, there was any chance that Jeff was going to turn around and feel like, uh, you know, there wasn't adequate reason to trust him and continue to let him lead the organization. That doesn't mean there won't be any other changes right. or any other people added. Uh, it doesn't mean that he didn't make any mistakes, but to think that if you looked at his body of work and his recent accomplishments and the relationship that they have, that it warranted change, I, I didn't even think there was any chance mm. uh, that that would be the decision that was made. You still feel that way now? I still do feel that way. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, if anything, the last couple of games give you more reason. I mean, listen, uh, yeah. his picking of Earth may have been the most criticized of all the decisions he's made. Now people are sitting there going, holy cow, he may have just saved our future. Yeah. We, we don't know if that's how it's going to play out. Um, but certainly that pick for a variety of reasons, everything from people doubting that Hertz was the guy to the possibility that they could have used the pick to fill some other need. And that was a really, really heavily criticized from, from all quarters pick. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if things play out the way it looks like they may at the moment, that was actually an incredibly strategic and smart move. Now, we'll see. There's a long way to go on that. <laughs> but there's at least a possibility that, you know, the pick, the pick about which he was more criticized than any that I've seen uh, turns out to be the one of the best decisions they've made in the draft in a long time. Does Doug Peterson also survive the cutting room floor after this season? Yeah, I mean, I'm not at 0% on Doug, yeah. but if you ask me, do I think it's more likely he's back than not, yeah. I give you a clear and strong yes, but I do think there's likely to be more analysis and discussion about that. But when it's all said and done, if you said, what's your best guess, I think Howie and Doug will be the people leading the team next year. Mm -hmm. But with Doug, I leave that door open a little bit. Mm. Why? Um, you know, I just think that we, as we look at um, – the performance of this year uh, and the last few years, um, you know, we've been nine and seven the last two years. Was the talent of the team nine and seven? Mm -hmm. That was kind of the white, right way for it to come out. Was there an opportunity to do better than that? You know, they've gotten off very, very slow starts and then had a scramble at the end to save the year. So I think if you look at that body of work, to me, it's still good. It's still impressive. If I were there, I'd, if the, unless there's something behind the scenes I'm not aware of, I'd be voting to bring him back again. But I at least think there's enough there that a discussion uh, about his future is warranted. Mm -hmm. um, and again, my prediction in the end is he'd be back. But 
there's there's enough room yep. for discussion there that it won't shock me if he's not. You know, Jeffrey Lurie has told us on a number of occasions through the years that he likes to hire people, put them in strategic places, and then let them do their jobs. Uh, he doesn't like to be a meddler, so to speak. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, he doesn't want to be as visible as a Jerry Jones, but is there good and bad with that that approach? Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, I'm I probably want to you know slice and dice those words a little bit. I mean, Jeff is very engaged, okay, but he doesn't tell people uh, what to do, mm-hmm. and it's not his expertise. And I actually found that to be good. I mean, he's somebody that will challenge your thinking. Mm-hmm. He'll ask a lot of tough questions, which helps make sure you're thinking of everything and making good decisions. Um, at least my experience when I was there, he's never sitting there saying, we have to draft that guy, right. or I'm telling you who to draft or who to sign. Um, but he's very, very engaged. He sits in on the meetings. He's very engaged in the conversations. He'll ask a lot of challenging questions. Um, he'll certainly have his opinions, which we'll all be aware of, but but he's not directing uh, people to do things. He's not enforcing his his authority, so to speak. And I do think to get to your basic question, yeah. that's the right role for an owner. I mean, an owner should be, you know, holding people accountable. He should be setting the bar high. Uh, he should be challenging decisions before they're finalized, make sure that everything that should be thought of is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he should be trusting uh, his people to make the final decision and then hold them accountable. Um, and at least my experience with him and, you know, from what I hear is still the nature of the relationships is that's what he does. And I think that's the right, you know, people that want an owner to just go home and, you know, watch the games and turn over to everybody, I don't think they understand it. There are some owners that are detrimental to their team's success. Mm-hmm. But the good owners uh, are actually an asset in challenging their team and setting the bar high uh, and making sure the thought process is is really, really thorough. Why are you not in a game right now? Why are you not with an organization lending your expertise to somebody? So if I could turn this around and like show you out my window, I don't know if you can see. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Way to rub it's it in. Way hard. to rub it in. It's it's not hard at all. I, I don't know if you've cleared all the snow off your driveway yet or not. But, uh, <laughs> is, is that, is that your, I'm, are, what, are you in, I'm assuming you're in Florida now. I'm in Florida. And listen, I'm, I'm involved in that. I have a number of consulting projects that I've done for various teams okay. uh, for years and, uh, and with some agents. Um, but as far as working for a team, I, I mean, I have, I'm in the perfect situation right now. Very happy, able to relax. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to make the Hertz Wentz decision yeah. right now. I'm glad somebody I can give you my two cents and there's no consequence. <laughs> there's no <laughs> No risk, and uh, most people forget what I said. So if I'm wrong, who cares? You know, that's a that's a nice seat to be in. Uh, so, uh, and you know, I, as I say, I'm thrilled I got to do it, but I'm also you know very happy with where I'm at today. So is it safe to say you are semi-retired? Yeah, I am semi. That's exactly the right way to say. It. <laughs> so <laughs> semi-retired. So so what do you do with this leisure time? Do you golf? Do you fish? What do you, what do you do? I mean, when it wasn't COVID, we did quite a bit of traveling. Yep. And as I said, I mean, I've worked to help launch a couple of websites. Okay. I do some consulting for a couple of teams. I do some consulting with pretty large uh, agency group. Uh, I help start a start a business that's uh, really a venture capital fund just for professional athletes. So there's a whole list of things I'm involved in, but none of them are particularly consuming and none of them am I the lead executive. And, you know, it allows me a lot of 
freedom to do what I want at this point in my life. You know, since uh, this COVID thing started earlier in the year and, and confined a lot of us to our homes and close quarters with uh, more people than we're accustomed to at any given day of a week, uh, I noticed you have uh, really been active on social media, especially Twitter. And I mean, you are like a heavyweight fighter on a lot of topics, man. I mean, some of the stuff I've l- watched you and read you go back and forth with people on have me howling. Now, what made me say this was because yesterday you made a comment about Akeem Tlaib, and like I, and I, and all of a sudden people are calling you racist. And and, and, and yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> what did you think of that, man? Well, I was distressed by the reaction, frankly, just thinking more kind of macro societal. Yeah. Um, as somebody that's uh, been very invested in race and social justice issues my whole life. Uh, and I'm proud of the fact that I was the first person in the NFL to have both a head coach and general manager were African-American at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the first major hire we made was an African-American head coach. And 25 years later, the league is still struggling uh, to get those issues where they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was disappointing that uh, my words couldn't have been taken as just a legitimate point of view that others could disagree with uh, and turned into something where the uh, uh, the attacks were rather aggressive. Wow. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, disappointing because I'm I'm a uh, not just an advocate, but I'm engaged on the issues that some of the people criticizing me uh, would feel strongly about on their side. But in the moment, I became the enemy. You know, and any time you step forward to say anything publicly on social media, especially when you're a public figure figure such as yourself, you know, it's going to get twisted and turned. But, man, you were out there swinging away. Uh, when, when, when racial tensions increased, um, unne- yeah. unnecessary deaths uh, that we had to witness, the protests, so on and so forth. And you took some shots, man. You were taking shots, haymakers left and right. You stood your ground. You didn't back down. Why, do you, why did you think it was important for you to continuously voice your opinion on various topics? You know, I mean, to me, I, I view Twitter as an opportunity to, to do exactly that. I mean, some people just want to throw out their comments. They don't want to engage in kind of a back and forth a discussion. Um, you know, I don't mind the debate. I like it to stay constructive. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when you come from um, a life and a perspective like I do to start to have people call you a racist is quite distressing and, mm-hmm. you know, counterproductive, frankly. Um, but, you know, I, I engage the, the back and forth at times. I mean, there are times that, you know, at the end of the day, I look back and, you know, wish I had let a couple of things go instead of responding. But in general, you know, I like the back and forth a little bit. And uh, especially if it's a constructive mm-hmm. dialogue versus just people getting, you know, hyper or, um, you know, inappropriate. What did you think about the political process we just went through with the voting, so on and so forth, and how it turned out and how it's still playing itself out even today? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how, as an American, uh, everybody isn't really distressed by this. Yeah. I mean, it's it, if if somebody has an accusation that the uh, election wasn't handled properly, uh, so be it. Uh, but at this point, we're we're a month and a half from the election. We've had 90, 60 cases heard by ninety justices. Mm-hmm. And there was only one ruling that could even remotely be considered on the side of something went wrong, which was changing the distance an onlooker could be from the vote counter from 10 feet to six feet. I mean, just think about that. 90 yeah. justices. Yeah. Over half of them appointed by Republicans and over 20 of them recently appointed by Trump. Mm-hmm. 
including the Supreme Court. So at this point, to me, it's nothing but people, uh, lack of objectivity and willingness to do things that are really damaging to our country and our democracy. I don't begrudge anybody, by the way, if they think there was uh, something wrong when pursuing that. That's absolutely part of the democracy, too. But by the time we're six weeks out and 90 different justices in 60 different cases have found absolutely no evidence to support these claims. I mean, you got to have a little objectivity or you just never believed in the democracy to begin with and the judicial system. You can believe the judicial system is flawed mm-hmm. and still say, okay, 90 justices in 60 cases with justice appointed by both parties, including the current president, who's the one claiming to be aggrieved. At some point, you've got to just say, you know what, whatever I may have perceived or thought at this point is disproven. And I'm going to base my opinion on facts. Mm. And if you do that, it's time to move on and Really be patriotic, I guess, is what I say, as opposed to waving the flag and thinking that makes you patriotic. Mm. You know, finally, they come up with a vaccine for this COVID. uh, And uh, now everybody wants to hurry up and get this thing out there so we can try to get back to normal. Now, it's understandable that they would have first responders first on the list uh, and people who uh, have severe illnesses uh, at the priority list as well. Um, But do you think we need to expedite in terms of how quickly more people get this vaccine. They're saying uh, the entire American population may not be vaccinated until next June or July. Do you think there's a way uh, to, to expedite this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hope that that everybody is really being as smart and diligent and thoughtful in the plan as, as they say they are. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in the sooner the better mode. I'm in my 60s. I have diabetes, so I mm-hmm. feel a sense of urgency personally. Mm-hmm. And obviously for the whole country and all of the people that have been, for whatever reason, whether it's an illness, whether it's their economic situation, whether it's the geography of proximity to people, you know, it's just going to be a great day when there's at least a dramatic, if not complete, elimination of this from uh, uh, how we function every day and the anxiety we have. I've had uh, a very close cousin who passed away and two other close relatives that were very sick and survived but have permanent health damage. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stress we're all feeling around, uh, you know, our, our own personal health and people we care about. And it will be it'll be great the, the day that we have at least significant relief from all of that. When you look back on what we have gone through as a nation since March and looking ahead, do you think we will ever achieve normalcy in this country again? Well, I'm, I'm worried. I think most people who are looking at this uh, should and would be worried. I mean, you know, it, that it's this much of a struggle to get people to believe an election was fair. You know, that, that are threatening violence over things that are speculative Mm -hmm. as opposed to factual, that we allow ourselves to become so divided. Some division is good, produces better outcomes and better thinking, um, collective wisdom I believe in. But when you get to the point where you've got people that won't trust an election, even though there's no factual evidence to the contrary, and when you have people that are threatening violence, um, and even the word civil war is in our Mm -hmm. discourse, that it's very hard to 
feel as uh, safe and secure in what people believe in and where the country's headed as we were able to a year ago. So I hope we work through this, but I'm much more worried than I've been at any other point in my life. I couldn't agree with you more. I never thought we would live through something like this, and hopefully for the future, not just of ourselves, but our children and grandchildren, um, that it doesn't get any worse. I mean, you know, you say it can't get any worse, but unfortunately, as we look at the situation the way it is right now, yes, it could get a whole lot worse uh, for a lot of people coming up behind us, Joe. No doubt. There's no doubt. We, we, I mean, the beauty of it, this is America and this is a democracy yeah. and the, the people can fix this. But I'm just worried that the, uh, there seems to be a lot of momentum in uh, counterproductive directions. And that's very worrisome and people being uh, willing to uh, believe things because it's what they want to believe as opposed to things that can be clearly at some point established as facts. Again, I had if we look at the election, I had no objection with people that felt there was something unfair and wanted to have mm-hmm. it evaluated, investigated, taken to court. I had no problem with that whatsoever. The fact that we're this far into it and this many people with such different backgrounds and histories in the judiciary mm-hmm. have all come to the same conclusion. And we still have you know, a sizable number of us who aren't accepting that. Mm-hmm. That's really scary. Mm. All we can do is hope and pray that better days are ahead, my friend. Hey, um... I can't I can't thank you enough for taking time. And now that you showed me the, the picture and taunted me, showing me the picture outside your window here of why it was so difficult for me to track you down for the past few months, I understand now. Um, you know, that you're you're in a peaceful place and you know, I envy you. And hopefully one day I can find that warm weather, um how can I say, um, Camelot of my own someday. Uh, but I but I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, don't be surprised if I hit you up down the road, especially when we get to the off season to talk more about the cap, the Eagles' direction they're going, the quarterback situation. You 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 can't avoid me forever. You know that. You know. I've been trying for twenty. Yes, years, you have. So I give up. People people don't know <laughs> people don't understand some of the engaging conversations we used to have when you were an executive with the Eagles. Um, you know. You know, some were favorable, some unfavorable, but, you know, through it all, here we stand, you know, as friends, and we still talk and text back and forth, and that's the most important thing. Uh, and I've always enjoyed it, and I always felt you did a great job, and you were very professional, and I personally uh, enjoyed our time together quite a bit, so glad to reconnect. Thank you, Joe. And uh, that's going to bring uh, to a conclusion the latest edition of Gun on Wonder Podcast brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. For my colleague and, more importantly, my friend, Joe Banner, I'm Derek Gunn. Uh, Merry Christmas, Joe, and happy holidays to you and yours and to everybody out there. Be safe. And as I tell you each and every podcast, continue to be blessed, but more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. So until next week, so long, everybody. is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Alvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Alvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.
Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.